Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Um, thank you for being more than enough. Thank you for the way this song just um, resonates in, in places where we need it so desperately. Thank you for the truths that particularly struck me this morning, God, that there is nothing more that I can do to receive all of your love and God, you've been more than enough, and I just pray that you would meet us in that, that you would take that truth and bring it specifically to bear on some people's hearts this morning, that it would be more than a lyric from a song, more than something that might delight us musically, but something that intersects the very way that we think, it intersects our faith and gives us something to grab hold of that would meet us in a place where we need it that it might, for some this morning, begin to demolish a stronghold. And so God, we're asking that you would do the work that you want to do in your people for your glory this morning. And so we trust you with that and pray that in this message that this understanding of how you are enough would be more clear to us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. You can grab a seat and uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to Christ Church. Um, happy Mother's Day. Uh, so thankful for um, the mothers in my life and that are around me. And um, I'm also uh, very, very thankful for the way God's working in this series, uh, Mind Wars. Um, I love, love, love the testimonies of the way that God in so many different ways is a really working through the power of his spirit and through the work of his word to begin to demolish some strongholds in our lives. And I know I need it just like you need it. And um, last week we talked about I am worthless. And we're going after another stronghold this week. And just as a reminder, um, we're waging war with strongholds, okay? Um, we said this the first week, we're not, um, we're not coming trying to negotiate peace uh, we are going to tear them down brick by brick, amen? And so I think that there is a meant to be, particularly after that song we just sang, I, I think there's meant to be a sort of confidence that rises up in God's people when we put these things in front of us and we go, that's going down in my life. And in any person's life who I have influence in, as a friend, and walking alongside in whatever way, or family, um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to do everything that God can do through me to bring some strongholds down. And so um, this morning, I want to start by uh, just, um, just saying something that I think is, is really a clear and evident for most people, is that um, it is easy uh, to feel like you are not good enough. It's easy to feel like you're not good enough. The, the longer you live... One of the uh, difficulties, one of the crucibles of aging um, is that you have more and more evidence of your limitations, of your struggles, of your weaknesses, of your sin. Older saints, don't leave me up here. Um, amen, right? And you feel it. You, you, feel, it in, you feel it in your work. You, you, you feel it in your relationships. The, the longer you go, sometimes you have got these moments in your past that, that just are hard and they... They linger and they, and they don't go away easily. And even in your thinking, you begin to find yourself mulling over things. 
you, you really feel it today. And the way sometimes it gets constructed is by uh, going to social media and kind of playing the comparison game, right? Because everybody loves to project like they are good enough. It's pretty common in our culture. We, we like to act like we're good enough while the reality of what any investigation into what's happening in mental health these days will tell you is that it's quite the opposite and that most people are struggling deeply and consistently with feelings like I'm not good enough. Some open the pages of scripture and then um, if you don't understand the gospel like we're going to feature today, you're confronted when you open scripture, you're confronted with this holy and perfect God and you're like, great. Now, as opposed to comparing myself to people that I know are fallen, now I get to compare myself to a holy and perfect God. And then if you land in Romans 3, you find that it says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You're like, I'm so encouraged. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And oh man, if you stop in Romans 3, you're going to construct the stronghold, I'm not good enough. And you're going to go back to last week and you're going to be like, see? I am worthless. And I'll be like, that's because you stopped in Romans 3. There are a lot more chapters in Romans than that. See, too often Christians get stuck here. We hear some red-faced preacher scream about what's right and wrong, trying to guilt people into a moral, biblically faithful life. Christian parents focus on what Christians should do and they impose to their kids in a way that reinforces obedience without a relationship with Jesus. And the stronghold starts to be constructed that I am not good enough. I'm not good enough to earn God's favor. I'm afraid of judgment because my sin is so bad. Why should I continue? I can't please God anyway. With, without a right gospel vision... This, this stronghold gets constructed and starts to speak over your life. You are not good enough. So we're going to learn to destroy this stronghold. And so let's look back again at the passage that's sort of guiding this entire series, 2 Corinthians 10, and then we'll get to the main passage for today. But let's just remind ourselves what we're doing. For though we walk in the flesh where we feel these things and where strongholds are constructed, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So important for today. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. See, to destroy the stronghold that you are not good enough, what the scriptures do again and again in so many different ways is they remind you, they point you to look to Jesus, not to the degree of goodness in yourself. That is the consistent teaching of God's word is, is to not actually look to yourself to try to articulate any sense of goodness, but to look to Jesus. We, we, even when we secure our salvation, we're supposed to look to Jesus, draw near to him, looking to Christ to save. The, the biblical thought that will help you begin to attack the stronghold, I am not good enough, is this. 
simple, big idea that forms the, the, the basis of this entire message. What Christ has accomplished is enough. Write it down, church. But as you write it down, ask the Spirit of God to write this on your heart. What Christ has accomplished is enough. Sufficient, complete, done, finished. It's finished. And so if we're going to focus our eyes on Jesus and get a picture of this, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. John writes this, By this, the work of God's love, is the previous passage, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And in this last statement, we love because he first loved us. It's so good. And, and there's two principles that need to intersect our thinking if we want this, this, this stronghold of, of I am not eno- good enough to come down. And the first one is this. Faith, biblical faith, looks to what Christ has already accomplished. Underline that word already. It's so critical that it's already happened. It's true if you find yourself in Romans chapter 3. Find yourself in Romans chapter 3. It clearly, literally demolishes any sense of my own goodness or righteousness before a holy God. We are, as the Bible says, born in our sin and trespasses. Not righteous, not good, our hearts deceitful, we have stone hearts, we're condemned before God. All of these things are the truth of what Scripture teaches. It's a true reality in your life and in my life apart from salvation. If, if you only look to yourself, you are, you are, you're going to always conclude that you're not good enough. Because the truth of what the Bible teaches about sin is that it's so much worse than what you even realize. Like in your flesh, like sin is more entangled around your thinking and your, your thought patterns than what you ever sometimes even realize. It's more le- deeply woven into patterns from the past and the present. Um, it's, it's, it's inflamed and encouraged by the enemy and forces and places we can't even see in the spiritual world. And, and we, we feel this weight even after putting your faith in Christ. See, I think sometimes people put their faith in Christ, they're like, I feel it more. And I'm like, yes. Sometimes the Spirit of God is making us even more acutely sensitive to our sin. We see sin more quickly, right? How many of you had an experience where you're just like, I came to faith in Christ, and you're like, oh man, I thought I was broken before. Now I'm really messed up. You're convicted more deeply. 
And that is why the gospel is good news. The gospel is only good news if it's entering into bad news and giving you something better to speak over your life. In the gospel, Jesus invites you to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus to be saved. And when you put your faith in Christ, one of the things that you receive is uh, you receive the Spirit of God fully and completely. But in the beginning, the Spirit does what uh, Scripture says the Spirit would do. And one of the primary roles of the Spirit, uh, John talks about in the Gospel of John, he says one of the roles of the Spirit is to bear witness about what Christ has already accomplished. And so sometimes the work of the Spirit is just that voice speaking more loudly into your life over time. And, and, and I mean, the summary of what the Spirit is speaking, it says that you see it right there in verse 13, when he says, because he has given us of his Spirit. And then it says, we have seen and testify. So what is the testimony of the Spirit? What is the Spirit bearing witness about? Look in the Scriptures right there. It says, what, and we have seen and testify, verse 14, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Like, this is a reality about who Christ is because Christ had to come rescue people, us, from our sins. And it's exactly what happened. We were what Romans 3 and other places says about us until Christ was sent into the world. Until he entered and became the savior of the world to offer salvation think about it with me, the perfect Son of God. Just this sentence is the gospel. The, the perfect Son of God, he took our punishment on the cross, he took our sin, he took all of our insufficiencies. I mean, right there, I'm just like, oh, like, such peace can come in that. All of our not good enough, he took it on himself. And he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. He declared in his words on the cross before he died. You guys remember? Do you remember church? He said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. He, he, he knew you were not good enough, so he was good enough. You're going to want that for later, I promise. He knew you were not good enough, so he was good enough. See, so that's what the Spirit's testifying when the Spirit's bearing witness, what he's saying is he's saying, stop looking at yourself. Some have articulated sin has actually like, I've, said, I've used this illustration before, like navel gazing. The idea of sin being that I'm, I've literally given myself to be turned in on myself. That's why the ultimate epitome of sin is selfishness. And, and what the Spirit is bearing witness is he's like, no, Stop looking to yourself. Look to Christ. Look to what Christ has already accomplished. Look at what Christ has already done. Look there. The peace and the joy that the gospel wants to bring does not come from looking at yourself. It comes from looking at Christ. Realizing what he's already accomplished. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you thought you had something to do, maybe after a really hard day. You thought you had something to do when you got home. And then you get home and maybe either 
you forgot that it had gotten done <laughs> or somebody had done it for you. And you know that sense when you, when you come home and you're just like, oh, it's done. And you sort of feel this like peace and joy. Like I don't have to do that thing anymore. It's already been accomplished. Like today is Mother's Day. And so some of you who are in this room who uh, live with your mothers still or maybe have an opportunity this week, I want you to think about a responsibility your mother carries. If you want to be a blessing to your mother, take one of those responsibilities and do it for her. Like surprise her. Let's say you prepare dinner and she comes home thinking about what she has to make for dinner and dinner's already ready. And immediately she's going to feel relief, peace, and joy. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Might depend on which child prepared dinner. But, but, but the burden of that would be taken from her. And it's finished. And she has nothing more to do. It's already accomplished. All she has to do is sit down and hopefully enjoy what you've prepared. When faith, though, looks to what Christ has accomplished, what the already that's happened, when you listen to the Spirit, it should lead to the same response. There's a relief, church. There's a peace and a joy that comes from looking to what Christ has already accomplished. It's finished. There's nothing more to do. It's, it's the perfect illustration with Christ. Sit down and enjoy in your life more often what Christ has already prepared for you. Christ's provision, unlike any provision of ours, Christ's provision is perfect, amen? Too often, here's what the followers of Christ do, though. Christ has prepared this perfect meal, but, but, but you walk into the kitchen and you start preparing a meal. You're like, I got this, I got this, I, I, I know what I need to do. I'm going to, and sometimes we don't even see it, I'm going to earn my right to be before the God who's already done everything. So we walk into the kitchen and we're like, I, I'm going I'm to make a meal and it's going to be great. And so we, we start to, in our own effort and works, we, we start to feel anxious about it. We're like, I've got to make sure it's good enough to please this holy and perfect God and I'm going to prove my righteousness. And you're sitting here prepping a meal while Christ is sitting at the table with the perfect meal already prepared for you. And he's inviting you just to stop and enjoy what he's already prepared with him. It's messed up. If you want to destroy the stronghold that I'm not good enough, then see the problem. Any move to try to prove anything to God will only reinforce and strengthen the stronghold that you are not good enough. Trying to establish what you have already accomplished will only reinforce the stronghold. Note this, thinking you are good enough is caused by not looking to Christ enough. Thinking you are not good enough is caused by not looking to Christ enough. That's the heart of this message. All the time in, 
in times of obedience and disobedience. Don't look to what you've accomplished. God, God says in light of all of them that it's not you, it's me working through you. The peace and love and joy and hope that your heart longs for will not come from looking to your goodness. It comes from looking to Christ's goodness for you. His grace is offered freely and fully on your behalf even though you don't deserve it. That's the inherent meaning of grace. It's not grace if you earned it. The assurance of your salvation doesn't come by by looking to yourself. It comes by looking to Christ. Even your own righteousness shouldn't cause you to be like, I killed it, did awesome. As if even in your obedience, it was somehow in your wisdom and power and strength. Faith looks to what Christ has already accomplished. Let's think about what Christ has already accomplished. Up on the screen for us this morning, look at this. He already died in your place. He already established his love for you. He already took the punishment you deserved. Amen, church? He already paid the penalty for your sin. He already redeemed you from the power of sin. He already defeated the powers of darkness. He already covered your guilt with his forgiveness. He already removed the wrath you deserved. He already removed your alienation from God. It's established in the past. It is the most glorious definition and illustration of one word in the English language, already. Already done. Already established. It's not moving. That, 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 those truths, they're not, they're not decreasing or increasing based on your unrighteousness or your righteousness. It's untouchable. It's already been accomplished on your behalf. That's why we sing Christ is enough. Faith looks to what Christ has already accomplished. And church, this, this transforms this thinking transforms the way you approach some things in the Christian life. Like, for example, let's just take reading the Bible. Some of you, consciously or unconsciously, have developed a pattern in reading Scripture where you believe that if I read the Bible, I'm now closer to God. If I don't read the Bible, I'm now further away from God. And so it's no surprise that you approach the Bible sort of feeling some things, thinking some things. It's wrong thinking. Faith looks to what Christ has already accomplished. Faith approaches Scripture going, I'm already secure. The Bible testifies of it. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm already right before God. I've already been made righteous. And now what I do is I approach the Word of God because I believe that it's a grace from God. I believe that his words I want to speak over my life. I want to reinforce this truth of God's goodness over my life. I long for the word because I don't have to prepare anything to offer God. I'm just coming to receive it. And it turns it and suddenly it becomes a joy and I'm, I'm consuming what he's already prepared. I'm, I'm not rushing around the kitchen trying to construct a meal to prove that I'm good enough because I know that I'm not. And I have nothing to bring and I have no ingredients to put together to make anything. 
but I come and sit at the table and I consume what Christ has prepared perfectly in the gospel. Faith looks to what Christ has already accomplished. What Christ accomplished is enough. Then this next principle. Confess your faith to bring it to life. Confess your faith to bring it to life. Verse 15, after these first two verses sort of set up this proclamation and make this connection to the Spirit. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... And then it just starts rolling into this like God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. Why? So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And then it's like, and then it says there's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And it's just painting this picture. And the picture and the reality that John is painting to invite us into it starts with confession. Continual confession of your faith in Christ is what brings your faith to life. So let me just make sure we understand what's being said in this word confession. Confession, when you confess, um, what, what the Bible's pointing to here is that it's your faith thinking rightly about who Christ is in you, taking hold of it by faith, and then declaring it over your life and then yielding to its direction. I'm telling you, the the gospel life is full of confession. Confession. Confession, as you see here in other places, confession is is like almost the language of the person who's abiding in Christ. Like a person who's, who's settling into the goodness of the gospel over their life, you'll hear from them all the time the confession of who Christ is. Because they know that their abiding in Christ is because of what Christ has done, not because of what they've done. And so they highlight all the time the goodness of Christ and what's being revealed about his character. And what happens then is, because they're proclaiming right things about Christ and abiding in him, Christ is then filling them with his love. And out of the overflow of Christ's sufficiency, they're seeing the opportunities to love others with the same love that Christ has loved them with. Do you see it? And that gospel life just continues. The work of God then as a result of that, note what it says in verse uh, 17 where it says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Like, there's, there's, there's just these, these parts in Scripture that are just like when, when you see the insanity of what's being communicated, it just makes you go, God is so awesome. Like, it's saying that we could have confidence in the day of judgment. Like We just talked about how like, messed up we are. Like, not righteous, not good, no, not one. And, and we're supposed to have confidence in the day of judgment when the perfect, holy God is standing before you and me. I, how can that be possible? 
It's only possible for us not to walk in the fear of that day of judgment. The only way it's possible is if Christ in his sacrifice was enough. That's the only way it's possible for us to stand with confidence before the day of judgment. And it's true, because Christ was enough, he, he presses out all, he casts it out, all fear that I'm not going to hear from God because of Christ, I accept you, I love you, I have forgiven you, I receive you. This type of thinking is how you destroy the stronghold that I'm not good enough. It's not by looking to yourself, it's by looking to Christ. And obedience to Christ and his word is part of confessing what Christ has already accomplished. Do you see it? See, even in our obedience, it's a confession. Even in our obedience, it's a confession. Our obedience, if we rightly understand the gospel, is an act of worship. It's, 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 it's not something so that I can enter into worship. It's something that's a response to worship. I obey out of a response because of how awesome God is. So critical for us to see. We're loved by God to learn and be empowered then to love others. And that is the core of the gospel and the gospel life. Confession is an affirmation of abiding in God. That's why in Romans 10, 9 through 10, do you remember this passage? So key at the beginning of coming to faith in Christ, it says there, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is for someone in the room this morning who's never put their faith in Christ. It's really just that. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. A right confession is a mark of salvation. Confess your faith to bring it to life. Confession is so powerful. What you say over your life out loud has so much impact. I'll never forget um, when I was dating Amy, my wife now of almost 22 years, uh, we were really careful with what we confessed to one another. Like we hated in watching relationships in the midst of the world how cheaply and quickly people expressed I love you to each other. We were just like, too early. I feel like I wanted like a penalty flag. I'd just be like, like, you know, like illegal procedure. Slow it down. You have no clue what you're saying. And so we purposely reserved those three words for a moment in our relationship. We articulated a general understanding of, yes, a love for one another as a brother and sister in Christ and those sorts of things. But we knew that there was a category of a confession of I love you that was reserved for when the relationship we felt with confidence was headed to marriage. And so five months into dating, it wasn't really headed in a good direction because I was an emotional mess. Okay, just think of all of the epitome that you could think in your mind of a guy being afraid of commitment. That was me. Like back and forth, sometimes by the day or the hour, in, out, in, out. Sure, not sure. Not because of her. Because of me. Dealing with so many insecurities of the past and different elements of my own brokenness and uh, 
it got to this point where Amy, very exhausted by the back and forth, finally gives me an ultimatum. Like, she laid it out. Okay, and all the ladies are like, that's awesome. And the guys are like, yeah, that was really hard for you, I'm sure. <laughs> true, true. Um, she was like, are you in or out? And, and it wasn't said exactly with that tone. Much sweeter. But that was the heart. And it was like, you know, you know, like the proverbial when someone's losing their mind, the slap in the face to sort of get them to like, that's what I needed. And um, it, was, it, was, it was a boss move, okay? It was, it was kind of attractive, I'll be honest. And uh, God used that conversation. Um, a month or so later, the words uh, were confessed to her. And uh, about two months later, we were engaged, and nine months later, we were married. I came to know and believe her love for me and that she was the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I believed in the love that she had for me. The words confessed an internal reality that I was already experiencing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Confession brought it to life, and it changed my entire life. But there is way more power in your confession about your relationship with God. When I confessed my love to Amy, honestly, I was 98% sure, but there was still 2%. And that 2% seemed way bigger than 2% in the moment. Hoping, believing that she felt the same as I risked confessing. But you don't risk anything in your confession to God about what he has proven again and again and again is true. That, that, that all of these things of what he's done, he's already accomplished. There's no question about the certainty of God's love for you. Confession, even, even your confession, it does nothing to impact God's love for you. Take it or leave it, it never changes. It doesn't grow, it doesn't diminish. Not in any way. And so in the light of the depth of our sin, the beauty of the gospel is that God's love never changes for you. No, nothing good you do can increase it. Nothing bad you do can decrease it. But that confession out loud and speaking the truth of the gospel over your life can be a grace to you. Think about it. This is God set it up in his kingdom. Again, in the church, he's like, uh, there's this thing called baptism. When you come to faith in Christ, here's what I want you to do, Jesus teaches. I want you to stand in front of a bunch of people, some that you know, some that you might not, and I want you to confess publicly that you're a follower of Christ. Church, now, almost 20 years in ministry, and I could just tell you baptism does something that I can't explain in people's lives. That public confession secures some things. It cements some things. Uh, the, the impact of standing up in front of a bunch of people and going, I am, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Just, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. And there's a confession that doesn't just stir up the faith of the person, but it stirs up the faith of the church, amen? Like, we love it. It's why we clap. We're like, yes, I'm there with you. I, we, we sense the solidarity and the unity in it. And then Jesus also instituted communion. 
to be practiced regularly in the church. Why? To provide a space to look to what Christ has already accomplished, to remember, to publicly confess in the taking of communion that, that you know and believe God's love for you, to, to recommit then to abiding in Christ more regularly if you've strayed. Confess your faith to bring it to life. Baptism and communion point to, watch this, they point to what is supposed to be the nature of the gospel life. Baptism is the beginning of it, the first public confession, and then communion is the consistent sort of reset of my heart and mind that then leads to the fullness in eternity. That's the way God set it up because he sees the power of confession. See, the problem is, is that we think that we're supposed to just know some truths in the past. Like, yeah, I know those. I got it all figured out, all, all categorized. I, I learned all the things. I checked all the things off the list. When what God's wanting you to do is to confess them over your life to speak them regularly. Look at this. This is how it becomes personal. We talked about some things that you can look to that Christ has already accomplished. Let's look at this list. This is a list of things that I am publicly professing over my life. Next slide up on the screen. Here we go. In Christ, I am forgiven. I am loved because I'm in Christ, because my faith is abiding in him. I am innocent, I am covered, I am freed, I am victorious, I am righteous, I am adopted, Christ is enough. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. We're going to try that one more time. Amen, church? Come on. Come on. In Christ. In Christ. He is more than enough, and all of this is by the grace of God. Even my confession of it's by grace. I did nothing to deserve that. I did everything to prove that I don't deserve that. You've done everything to prove that you don't deserve that. It was because of what Christ has done. So get your eyes off of yourself and onto Christ. Why do we want to have worship that's so white hot in our church that our hands are raised? Because I don't have anything to offer. All I have to do is to take hold of what he has already done for me and to confess those things over my life, shape them and guide them and direct them. Literally, start to speak it over your life. Some of you need to, to pray a bit more out loud. Some of you need to, to look in the mirror and say some of the things that the gospel says. Not some of the things that your heart says or someone else has said. Stop looking to your works. Look to Christ. Confess it out loud. Confess your faith to bring it to life. Let it have full freedom, yield to those truths. What Christ accomplished is enough. In response to this message, we just, we had to come to the communion table. Communion is where we publicly confess what, what Christ has already accomplished. In communion, we remember, we, we repent, 
we return. It's one of those moments that the follower of Christ needs. It's ordained by God. It's also why communion is only for the followers of Christ. I saw it more clearly this, this week. We, we can't take hold of the symbols that represent that Christ is enough if I don't believe and live as though Christ is enough. Communion is what helps us manage the destruction of the stronghold, I am not good enough. It protects you from re-erecting it in your life. In communion, we remember that we're not enough because we're coming to receive something that we didn't establish on our own. It's where we repent of sin and where we remember that sin is fundamentally a denial of the Lordship of Christ. It is the opposite of living like Christ is enough. So we confess that and then we return back to abiding in Christ. We return to his love. We, re we return to, to sit at the table where Christ sits across from you and he offers you the bread of life to eat and the living waters to drink. So sit down in these next moments and just abide in Christ and just come back to where he is more than enough because you don't have to be enough because he already is. So I'm just going to call the communion service forward right now and as this song is sung, I want you to, as elements are passed, if you're a follower of Christ, take the two cups stacked on top of one another, one holding the bread, one holding the juice, the symbol of his body given to you and his blood poured out for you. And I want you to take hold of them. And as this song is sung, I want you to reflect on the fact that Christ has declared that he's enough for you. And I want you to pray and to seek him and repent and return. And then we're going to hold on to those elements and take them together in just a few moments. Let's just receive this song and let us sit and rest before the God who is enough. Let's do that now.